So I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, where I will be reading verses 1 through 13. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya beyond belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. I want to tell you today that God keeps his promises. Everyone he's ever made, to anyone he's ever made it, he keeps it 100% secure. Jesus made a promise in the first chapter of Acts that we read about in the last couple of weeks. And this is how the promise went. He commanded them in Acts 1-4, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It was the last promise that Jesus made when he lived in this world. In chapter 1, the disciples were to wait for the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, he came. In chapter 1, the disciples were equipped. In chapter 2, the disciples were empowered. In chapter 1, they are held back. They are told to wait. In chapter 2, they are told to go. Chapter 1, the Savior ascended to the throne of the majesty on high. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended and came upon the church. The plan of redemption was anticipated all through the Old Testament. Everything about the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, his cross, and what he did for sinful mankind, consummated in Christ upon the cross, and we celebrated what he did as we partook of 
the Eucharist this morning. Consider these words from John 7, 37, when it says, Now in the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If any man is thirsty, let him come and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom they who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But now Jesus is glorified. He was raised from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father on high. Jesus was glorified. The Spirit was coming upon these believers, and the church was being born. And so for the 120 who are gathered in the, I think it was the upper room, there was one more world-changing event that was going to happen, and Jesus called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was coming. So in this lesson today, in very simple fashion, let, let the depth and the profundity be taught by God the Father to us all this morning. I can only give you the simple facts, and I believe that is all I am required to do. Let the Holy Spirit do what the Spirit will do this morning. I want to teach you simply about what they heard, what they saw, and what it meant. So first, let's talk for just a moment about what they heard. Now, I want you to know that this was the time of the annual feast, the annual feast of harvest, it was called, or the feast of ingathering, or the feast of weeks. A week has seven days, so a week of weeks is seven times seven or 49, and then on the 50th day, it was Pentecost, and that's the meaning of the word Pentecost, 50th. They were there to celebrate the fact that Moses had been given by God the Decalogue on Sinai, the law of God. That was part of their celebration, as well as an, a kind of an agricultural dimension, a provisional kind of dimension to the celebration, thanking God for the bounty, for the food that had been provided, for the provision of life that comes at the hand of God. You know, none of us live or breathe or have any being in this world if it is not for the Lord. None of us has anything we can really call our own. We have nothing in this world that has not been given to us. And so it was time for Thanksgiving. This was, in fact, the Jewish Thanksgiving. And that's what they were here to do. And all of a sudden, there's a sound. Uh, sound like any other. It is wind. It is wind in a dramatic way. Now we know that wind can blow, it can gust, it can howl, it can lash, it can rise, it can strengthen, it can veer. But this wind was a mighty rushing wind that was giving birth to the church. The Holy Spirit was coming upon the believers. I'm reminded of that word from Acts 26, where 
Paul is giving his defense before Festus, and he says, For the king knows about these things, and I speak to him boldly, for I am persuaded that none of the things that have happened have escaped his notice. This has not been done in a corner. Nothing God has ever done has been done in a corner. Now, there's things the world does not understand because they are spiritually appraised. It takes the Holy Spirit to give us understanding to the mighty mysteries and glorious things of God, but none of it's done in a secret. Anything about Jesus is fully known and fully taught. God has not hidden the plan of redemption. He doesn't hide it from anyone here today who is seeking and wondering and knowing about what it means to belong to Christ. This was the baptism of the church and the empowerment of the church so that the message could go forth under the power and anointing of the Spirit. That's the only way it ever does its full work. And the Bible says that it happened suddenly. It was not a secret, but it sure looks like it was a surprise. And I want to tell you, God holds nothing from you in secret, but let God surprise you. May God surprise the church here this morning. Amen? Let the church be surprised at what the coming of the Spirit means. All these things to me speak of uh, the urgency of preparedness. And I, I talked to you a little bit about that last Sunday because I believe that is, it is so in my heart about helping the church overall understand it this, these days. We just kind of go about our lives. We're thankful to God. We like to, we, we like to worship and we love to sing and we partake of all things and we love to be together and we love to see what God is doing. And again, we're thankful for his provisions and so on and so forth. I see the church as having lost its urgency to win people to Christ. This is what we're here for. This is the main and central thing that we're here for. And it's time for preparedness and urgency. I think I quoted, did I C.S. Lewis to you last week? Who in his essay, A Slip of the Tongue, said, if in the end it is not the kingdom of God that you have chosen, it will not matter what you have chosen instead. It is a matter of urgency. This is what they heard when the Holy Spirit came upon them because this was the, the presence of the Spirit beginning to teach them. And there was this noise, and it was the manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon them. A mighty rushing wind. Now, those of us who live in Florida and some of our brothers and sisters in North Carolina have uh, heard that kind of sound again this weekend, huh? You ever heard a tornado coming? What do people say it sounds like when a tornado comes? Like a train. Must have been like that that day. A mighty rushing wind. Last year, our family went through the hurricane that came through Lake Wales and uh, was far worse than any hurricane we've seen in our 30 years in Florida. And, and I thought the roof was coming off, and in some ways it did, actually. Now, I'm going to tell you, that is frightening, and you've been in hurricanes too. You know the deal. But that is what they heard. Spirit of God has come. May we hear that mighty rushing wind today. And then secondly, this is what they saw. 
they saw tongues as of fire, divided tongues, appearing and resting upon each of them. This was, the, to me, the actual presence of God the Father, God the Son, in God the Holy Spirit as they came. They were being filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is God's desire for every one of us here today. I think we do that when we come to the Father and we're humble before him. We say, I'm listening to your word, Father. I see what you say. I want this for me. I want to be full of your spirit, living in strength and ability, living for everything you've given me to live. And so we empty ourselves, right? How can we be filled with something God has when we don't empty ourselves of the stuff in our lives? And for Many of us, from time to time, that means I got to go to God and confess my sin. I've got to be clean and holy before him, a vessel that he can actually use. I think asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to practice the presence of Christ. Practice the very presence of Jesus. You know, one of the things I do when I come to a church like this to speak very often, I, I will get a mental picture of Jesus sitting right there, so that everything I do and everything I say, I connect with him and I'm pleasing to him and giving the word just as he gave it in all its truth and power. I mean, Colossians 3 is clear. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That is the work of the Spirit. Now, the Bible says they began to speak in tongues spoken at Pentecost. And do you see what it says about those tongues? What were they? They were the native language of the Jews who had come to celebrate Pentecost and the festival. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. They heard the mighty power of the Holy Spirit roaring through the room, and now they feel this fire upon them and they begin to speak in tongues. This fire is important. It's what theologians call a theophany, which means the actual presence of God in the place. I mean, this is what happened, for example, in the fire with Moses in Exodus 3. He's on the mountain. He sees this fire. He says to himself, I- I've got to turn aside now and see what-, what is going on here. There is a bush that is on fire, but it is not being consumed. And when he went to look, this is what he heard. Moses, Moses, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Moses, take the sandals off your feet. For the ground upon which you are standing is holy ground. He was in the presence of God. Or how about when he himself led the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, Do you remember how they were led over the course of time? Yeah, Moses and Aaron, they were leaders, but they were led by God himself. How? Through a pillar of cloud during the day, follow the cloud, and a pillar of fire at night. 
It was the very presence of God. And I'm reminded of those words from Hebrews 12, 29. Our God is a consuming fire. Fire symbolizes ardor and warmth and affection. Jesus said in Revelations 15, I I know your works that you are neither cold or hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. God does not want lukewarm Christians. He wants them like Trent with his hair on fire. Christians who burn with passion for the things of God. When the Spirit comes, he will kindle a spark in the church and in every individual life, a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God, a hunger and a thirst for the fellowship, a hunger and a thirst for evangelism and to do all the things God has required us to do, which is why when he gave them the understanding of what it meant, the final point, what it meant was this, and I want you to pick up what he said. They asked a question that had already been answered because the answer to the question of what was going on here and what it meant was this. In our own tongues, they are telling the mighty works of God. This is what was happening. And I want to tell you what, any church that ever wants that for a prescription for what they do will also set the world upside down like they did. I've thought about that phrase all week. It's just uh, one of those phrases in the scripture that all of a sudden will uh, captivate your attention. And it did that for me this week. I'm thinking, wow, what, what must they have been saying? What must have they been proclaiming? preaching, if you will, that day, the wonderful works of God. Now, I, I, I know absolutely that these believers would have been proclaiming a message that was consistent with the Word of God. They wouldn't have been going off on tangents. They wouldn't have been talking about personal experience and those kind of things. They would have been talking about what the Word of God said about how God was at work in this world. And so I imagine, for example, can't you, can't you see them going and telling these believers, and everyone who would listen of the mighty works of God in creation? Isn't it arguable that the the most important verse in the Scripture, because without this verse, nothing else follows, the most important verse in the Scripture, arguably, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and they proclaimed the great and wondrous works of God in creation. This God created ex nihilo, that means out of nothing, by divine fiat, that means by his spoken word. He spoke and the worlds came into existence. He breathed into the nostrils of the first man, fashioning him from the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. This is the truth of the mighty works of God. Uh, They were Jews, so I would imagine they proclaimed the wondrous works among the chosen people, the Israelites. Maybe they told about Abraham, do you suppose? Remember when God came to Abraham? What did he say to him? Abraham. Abram, actually, at that point. 
I want you to leave your land. He was in the Ur of Chaldees. I'm calling you. I want you to go out. Where? He did not tell him. Not then. He went out not knowing where he was going. He had been promised that he would be blessed more than anybody on the face of the earth. I'm going to make your offspring like the sand of the seashore. Above all people, you're going to be remarkably blessed. And I'm sure they talked about Moses, and they talked about the prophets, and all of the ways God had chosen the people of Israel, and that he was, through that group of people, going to provide a Savior. And then you can absolutely know that they, in the mighty works of God, talked about Jesus, about his life. Born of a virgin. Do you believe that? Does the church believe that today? Born of a virgin. He came to this world and he lived a life before us as none had ever lived. He went, the Bible says he went about doing good. And he was the singular sacrifice that God would ever accept. The ransom that would only be accepted for the payment of the sin of every man and woman who believes in his name. Or we're going to get to a verse that, where Peter said, For there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. All religions do not lead to the same place. I bet they preach that like wildfire. All your human thoughts do not lead in the same direction. There is one way only. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And then I would not doubt the mighty works of God included for them. They're helping everybody understand, where's this all going? What does it mean the Holy Spirit has come? What does it mean the church has been born? What does it mean you're being asked to go and to preach and proclaim the gospel to every nation, to all people, everywhere? Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, and there is going to be an end of the age. And it comes to a great climax. I, I, I've got to imagine that in proclaiming the mighty works of God, they talked about the consummation of the age. You know, it's amazing to me today that uh, scientists have kind of caught up with the Bible. They think it's the other way around. It, I, I think it's this way. Science has caught up with the Bible because today in, uh, for example, the second law of thermodynamics, it's called the law of entropy. It's, it's saying that the, the, the universe is, is in a kind of a rare disorder. And what scientists say, what the, we think this hap happens now is that there's coming a time when the universe and the world in which we know will incur a great heat death. And I wonder where we've heard that before. But I'll tell you, this is the truth. The earth and the elements and everything we know when the coming of Jesus is here will melt, according to the scripture, in a fervent heat. All of it burned, a new heaven and a new earth for those who belong to Christ. But the world and universe in which we know will be destroyed in a fervent heat. This is the teaching of the scripture 
And thank God Jesus is coming again to rescue us forever. Amen? So others who mock say, these guys are just drunk. Well, I'll deal with that next week when I talk about the first sermon to the Christian church. Begins next week in our study. But what a great and glorious God we serve. Amen? And we are here to celebrate his works among the people. And maybe the work that needs to happen in your life here today. I'll tell you again, if there's anybody here this morning who does not know Christ, oh, how with my heart I invite you to receive him today. Call on him as Lord and Savior. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and for him to make you part of the glorious church of the living God. Whatever your need might be, there are places here to pray, and that is the the pattern of what we do here in this church. And as we close, I'm going to pray for all of you this, this morning, and then we'll have one more time of worship together. And if the Lord speaks to you today, let the Holy Spirit do His work in your life. Amen? Father in heaven, we believe in what you did in Acts chapter 2. You sent your spirit. It was promise kept. We are here to experience it today. And we love you, Father, for the work you do among us. Let us proclaim today the mighty works of God. Amen. Let's respond, church. Stand to your feet. Let's honor God in this time. Allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak as we respond. We're not just singing. We're responding to the Holy Spirit of God. Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater Our God is stronger God you are higher than any other Our God is healer Awesome and power, our God, our God, yeah. Into the darkness you shine, and out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you, none like.
best for us Then who could ever stop us And if our God is with us Then what could stand against And if our God is for us Then who could ever stop us And if our God is with us Then what could stand against Then what could stand Travis's. God bless you, church.